Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I wanna confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, including your stories. Send them to OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. One of the things we love to do is take you around the country and pursue Americans' hobbies, Americans' quirks, and also museums of all kinds, from presidential museums down to the arcane and the fun, which brings us to Johnny Beyer, who's the executive director of the Banjo Museum in Oklahoma, sharing with us some banjo history. The museum was born out of a jazz banjo festival in Guthrie, Oklahoma. This festival eventually came to be a museum which opened in 1998. In 2009, they moved from Guthrie to Oklahoma City, where they have close to 400 banjos on exhibit. Here's Johnny with the story of the banjo. The most popular part of the museum visitors' experience tends to relate to things that they can relate to immediately. Most of our visitors are not banjo players. So when we can do something that ties the banjo directly to something that they have an already soft spot in their heart for, we've hit a home run. Uh, Some of our exhibits included uh, Steve Martin, of course, uh, Steve Martin, everyone loves as a comic, 
and an actor and a playwright and, and all these things. He's, he's a wonderful superstar, but he's also a great banjo player. So we have, uh, right now we have one of the instruments that Steve had donated to our museum. And when people see Steve Martin's picture and the banjo that he gave to our museum, all of a sudden they say, hey, I know that guy and he's cool. So the banjo must be cool too. I mean, that's the kind of uh, thought process we want to get through people's heads. Uh, we just closed an exhibit not too long ago about Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets. Now, if you're a Muppet fan, you would have remembered Kermit the Frog playing the ban banjo in the Muppet movie. And anybody of a certain age has uh, almost without fail an affection for Kermit the Frog. So when we did this, uh, how should I say, the exhibit about Jim Henson, my goal was to get Kermit the Frog here to the Banjo Museum. And with the help of the Jim Henson Company and Jim Henson's family, they allowed us to have Kermit here for almost two years, strumming his banjo. And when people see that, they immediately put, I love Kermit, I really like the banjo, I forgot that connection. Those are the things that really hit home with people. The banjo, while we call it America's instrument because it's so associated with so many types of American music, it actually has its roots in Africa. When the slave trade came through the uh, Indies and uh, brought uh, enslaved Africans to American soil back in the 1600s, they brought with them knowledge of what we would call early folk banjos basically tree trunks that might have been hollowed out and covered with an animal skin. And those uh, little, that little body of the banjo, kind of like a drum, had a, uh, a handle attached to it that they put strings on. And our assumption at that point in time is that the strings were more like percussive sounding things, like on the back of a snare drum, rather than melodic notes. But as time went on, apparently it became obvious that that rhythmic sound of kind of scratching across the strings on a banjo could be turned into musical notes rather than you'd hear by the, let's call it the uh, late 1700s and into the 1800s. White culture embraced the banjo and made it its own, or thought of it as its own, starting basically in the late 1800s. It was a time that uh, minstrel shows, minstrelsy we call it, were an accepted and popular form of ent entertainment. Obviously not the case today. We don't promote minstrelsy, but we can't tell the story of the banjo without touching on the minstrel era because the banjo was so associated with that very, very popular form of entertainment at that point in time. The banjo has been evolving since its earliest forms constantly. The next style of uh, popular banjo playing, we call it the classic era. That came out from basically the late 1800s into the early 1900s. Now, in that point in time, the banjo was no longer generally a handmade folk instrument, it started to become a manufactured product. So the banjo, because of its association with minstrelsy, kind of had a reputation of being a rough and tumble, kind of folky, uh, not a very musical instrument, not a serious musical instrument anyway. When the classic era came around, the banjo was played in a very refined manner. It was played with bare fingers, the strings were made of animal intestine, and the refined manner of playing during the classic era is what it sets it apart from any other period of banjo evolution. During that classic period, banjo players were expected to read on site actual notation of musical scores. The real golden era, the mainstream popularity of the banjo came after that classic era. During the uh, late 1910s and teens, popular music in America started to incorporate early ragtime and the dance music that was from the late 1800s, that Victorian kind of proper uh, European influenced dance music was really giving way to America's own music. Now that all led to early jazz. So what happened was the banjo started to take on, back to its roots, it take on a role as a rhythm instrument. 
And rather than playing single note lines of melody or harmony or things like that, the banjo was looked upon during the jazz age to be the rhythmic pulse. It's an absolutely perfect description of the banjo in the jazz age. And that went on beautifully and uh, very, very commercially successfully until the stock market crashed. And you've been listening to Johnny Byer, and he's the executive director of the Banjo Museum in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. When we come back, more of the story of the banjo here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the stories we tell about this great country, and especially the stories of America's rich past, Know that all of our stories about American history, from war to innovation, culture, and faith, are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College, a place where students study all the things that are beautiful in life and all the things that are good in life. And if you can't get to Hillsdale, Hillsdale will come to you with their free and terrific online courses. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. continue here with our American stories. We've been listening to Executive Director Johnny Byer from the Banjo Museum in Oklahoma City. We left off with Johnny talking about the effect of the stock market crash on, of all things, music. When the stock market crashed in 1929, musical tastes changed quite dramatically. you got to keep in mind, during the 1920s, Uh, It was an era, we call it the Roaring Twenties, but it had a lot of other nicknames, names like the Lawless Decade and and such. Prohibition was in place for for all that time. So what you had following World War I was this huge influx of ex-doughboys or, you know, veterans coming home, young men coming home, having suffered a terrific ordeal through this this incredible war that they'd been through. They got home and they couldn't have a drink and they were looking to have some fun. So prohibition being in place, jazz coming out of the of the woodwork, literally, uh, and speakeasies, spe- the, you know, these uh, illegal bars where liquor was sold and jazz was king as far as the soundtrack were becoming uh, very, very, very popular. So the jazz music and the banjos association with it kind of uh, was part of that subculture or that you know underground culture of the speakeasy. But it all came crashing down when uh, everyone thought the, the, the economic boom of the post-World War I era would go on forever. The stock market crashed and no one wanted to dance the Charleston anymore. We were, we were facing the Great Depression. People, you know, who were stars, you know, the banjo stars of the 1920s, they were basically kind of shuffled off into the uh, uh, the shadows at that point in time. Dance music became very subdued, slower. Banjos and dance bands were replaced by guitars. And the banjo, for all intents and purposes, was dead by, you know, the end of the 1930s. It was just gone. After World War II, uh, the banjo did come back to a degree of popularity, uh, it, but then in a new identity. It was back in uh, September of 1945, I believe, when Bill Monroe, who had been working on a, a new string band sound, uh, it, it, he came from Kentucky, so he called his band the Bluegrass Boys. But it wasn't really until Earl Scruggs brought his banjo and this new style of playing the banjo that most people had never heard before because it was confined to the rural areas of the Appalachians or Kentucky. It was a style back to that old classic style of playing with bare fingers, but it was updated with those banjos that had steel strings and picks. As fate would have it, nostalgia kicked in. So after World War II, there was this kind of longing for a simpler time. You gotta keep in mind, after World War II, you had a lot of political upheaval, a lot of social unrest here in the United States, and people were looking to gravitate towards a simpler time, what they considered to be a simpler time, before World War II. So what happened was, after World War II, there 
uh, was a phenomenon we call them banjo parlors. There were nightclubs in major cities that were starting to feature music of the 1920s and 30s. Now, where did it go from there? Well, a lot of there hasn't been a lot of new style of music being created by the banjo. Now, there are some great musicians out there playing the banjo who are always experimenting, trying to take the banjo in new and different places. But some of the most active uh, banjo identities over the most recent years are, again, going back to banjo roots. There's been a huge amount of interest in the African roots of the banjo among young black musicians who are reclaiming the African roots of the banjo and taking it full circle. And then, of course, the Mumford & Sons uh, type of uh, uh, phenomenon also. It's part of this ongoing evolution that uh, we cover the entire story of it here at the American Banjo Museum. My favorite part about the banjo is it becomes an extension of who I am musically. I hear, I hear music all the time. The banjo is the one that I can get who I am out, who I can, I can speak to an audience with the tenor banjo. Now the tenor banjo is an out-of-date instrument. It hasn't really had, as I say, outside of Celtic music, it hasn't had any mainstream relevance for decades. I'm, I'm just going to play a little, uh, a, strum a little bit and give you kind of an overview here of the instrument. When, when you think of banjos these days, you generally don't think of hearing all the notes at one time, making up a chord like, like a guitar player plays. You would normally think of picking out individual notes. This tenor banjo that I'm playing, it has four strings on it. Four strings that go the equal length of the neck. That makes it different than most banjos today. Most banjos today have an additional tuning peg that sticks out of the upper part of the neck, the side of the neck, and it tunes a what we call a droning string. And that droning string is a string that, part of that picking pattern I talked about, it doesn't change its pitch. So the droning string in this case would be this note here. And you'll hear this note played over and over and over again. You're hearing that droning pattern. Now, the, the fact is, what I'm showing you is kind of an imitation of how a bluegrass player would play. Play a couple notes and hit the droning string. But you have to do it fast, and that's where it starts to sound like bluegrass. Sounds like it. Uh, it was a long introduction to play the banjo the way you recognize it. And it's my, it's my experience that if you play the banjo in a manner that your audience recognizes, they will let you do anything else on, on the banjo, okay? And, and that's when I go into, you know, any number of, of, of different styles of banjos. You know, as I say, when you're playing the uh, songs of the 1920s, So, uh, you know, if, if I were playing in a dance band, that's how I'd be playing. While the uh, trumpeters were going... You know, and so, again, you're, you're basically an accompaniment instrument. But if, uh, as I mentioned in the 1920s, some of the banjo players had that, that single string facility under their fingers to be able to play uh, melodic passages. It could be sweet and, and simple like... Something like that. You can do a lot of things with a banjo. It just depends on where your musical head is at and how much you're willing to commit musically to it. So I'm going to do a song written by Woody Guthrie here. This land is your
Special thanks to Johnny Byer for everything, including that final performance. A story of the banjo, the story of American music, and so much more. This is Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. 
Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Our American Stories, and now we have a story from Leslie Leyland Fields. She's an author and speaker that lives in Alaska. We often forget about Alaska. It's an entirely different world apart from our 48 contiguous states. Leslie is bringing us a small taste of her home by telling us the story of their little fishing town's first telephone. Here's Leslie. We got our first phone in 1989. It cost $5,000 and took a week to install. We had to do part of the work ourselves erect a 50-foot aluminum pole with four guy wires, each 100 feet long, tied into pilings that we sank and cemented into holes as deep as we could dig. It was a lot of work for something I didn't want. One of the great boons of living out on an island in the Gulf of Alaska had been having no telephone to answer. My obligations in the town of Kodiak, our winter home, could be shed the minute I climbed into the bush plane to get to that island, where I go every summer to work in our family-owned commercial fishing operation. My friends all knew that the only way to communicate with me from June to September was by mail, slow mail. Letters had to endure many layovers in many terminals, the last one the worst of all because the post office was 30 minutes away by skiff, and we went only once a week. Thus, I was spared having to invent excuses for belated replies. But in 1989, among the buildings that shelter our extended family of 15, plus seven employees, the cabin where my husband and I live was singled out for the installation of this new technology. The decision was logical, I grant. Our cabin sits on the open south end of the island with no overhead bluffs, no land masses to interfere with the radio waves, just a straight shot out in all directions. But here was the catch. Since all costs and resources are shared among us, communally, this was not to be my private phone. I was to be the message taker and phone slave for 22 people, all with relationships creditors, lovesick girlfriends, or worried mothers. I did not want this role. We were considerably behind other fishing camps in the bay and getting a phone. Our neighbors a mile across the water had had one for four years already by the time we got ours. In fact, we often motored over in our skiffs to use it, though always sheepishly. When we couldn't face them yet again, we would make a run to Larson Bay, where a phone was available, but not easily so, in the community center. Until 1983, when private phones were installed for the first time, the entire village of then 120, like other villages in remote Alaska, had a single phone. It was a satellite phone with the characteristic delays and tinny echoes that signaled a call from very far away. In the summer, when the village was full of fishermen and cannery workers, the phone was always attended by a queue at least 10 people long, and each person was limited to five minutes. I felt sorriest for the year-round residents who had to endure the summer takeover and line up with everyone else. We overheard a lot of news as we stood in that line, and some family secrets, and mostly learned to use verbal shorthand when our turn came. For those early summers, that was the communications drill. Drive the skiff to Larson Bay, if not to the neighbors, weather permitting, walk half a mile to the community center, and stand in line for 50 minutes to get five. We were all grateful for that one phone, though, 
especially those of us who remembered the pre-satellite days before 1980, when the only link between the village and the outside world was a single sideband radio. In the years since its installation, our telephone has fully lived up to my expectations. Although our number is listed in the phone book and has seven digits, just like everyone else's, I describe it as a radio for the sake of the uninitiated, who without this important qualifier would expect conversation as usual. Calling it by its technical name, a half-duplex radio phone, would do little to describe its features and flaws. The body is a small black box the size of a video cassette, with a cord and a mouthpiece like those of a CB or any other handheld radio. The numbers are not on the body, but on the mouthpiece, which also serves as earpiece and receiver. Using it is indeed like radio communication. You key the mic, pressing a button to speak, and then releasing it when finished. Only one person can speak at a time. Both voices, the callers and the receivers, are broadcast into the room. The caller, usually unknowingly, is speaking aloud to three entire households. This is most unfortunate when lovesick crewmen take to the airways. So in love are they, however, that even if they know their impassioned messages are bleeding into three living rooms, they alter their conversation in neither content nor length. Despite the phone part of this apparatus, my husband still operates it as though it were a radio. When it rings, rather than answer with a cordial, hello, Fields residence, as he does in town, he answers with a terse, this is Harvester Island. That is not mere eccentricity. Here, where you live is who you are. On the VHF radio, we call one another not by name, but by distinguishing landmark. Prominent Mound, Little River Rock, Rocky Beach, Chief Cove, Hook Point. Everyone in the Bay knows that Hook Point is the Larsons. Rocky Beach is the Hoys. Rocky Beach is going to host the 4th of July picnic this year, we might say. But... An outsider doesn't expect to be answered on a phone by an island. The phone is not always innocent. It lacks timing and occasionally seems to harbor malicious intent. No matter how accurately I dial, it will occasionally call other numbers at random. When trying to reach my sister in New Hampshire, I rang up a pet store in California. When calling a bookstore in Anchorage, I got a women's resource center somewhere in Washington. Worse, the phone may simply cease operating, shutting down in mid-syllable, especially when someone is giving precise directions or important deadlines, but no click or any other sound signals the disconnection. The person at the other end merrily chats along until she finally realizes that there has been no returning beep to signal a successful transmission. And sometimes I can still hear her when she can no longer hear me. And you're listening to Leslie Leyland Fields, and this is a small taste of Alaska her little fishing town's first telephone, the story about that, and so much more. And by the way, we're looking for these kinds of stories from your town, big town, small town, and everything in between, whatever hamlet or precinct you're from in this great country. We like to bring it all to you. We don't have a bias towards big or small, east or west or north or south. It's all America to us. Go to OurAmericanStories.com and share your stories with us. When we come back, more of Leslie Leyland Fields' story about her fishing town's first telephone. This is Our American Stories.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with Our American Stories, and we've been listening to author, speaker, and teacher, Leslie Leyland Field. She lives in Alaska and has been brilliantly telling the story 
of their small fishing town's first telephone that connected them to the rest of the world. Back to Leslie. Most hobbling to real communication is the delay in transmission. If you tell something you hope is humorous or dramatic, you have to tell it all at once. You never separate a joke from its punchline or a story from its denouement, if you're talking on the radio phone. You cast it out whole into the void of space and then wait the full three seconds for the response. In the best of circumstances, timing is hopelessly out of joint. Only Morse code, not spoken English, is equipped to deal with such pauses and interruptions. Our radio phone, then, like the early telegraph wires, is not for relationships or entertainment, but for information only. I didn't want a phone in 1989 because I already had a radio with all of its attendant blessings and curses. Voices from the VHF and the CB filled my house. Most of them voices I didn't want to hear. Many of them the voices of people I didn't know. A skipper on a fishing boat yelling to his skiff man, Get away from the rocks! Or a float plane calling a fishing camp to ask for the best place to land. For five years running, our radio picked up a trucker somewhere in the deep south who was using a booster, an amplifying unit so powerful it was illegal. This racket was most obnoxious on net mending days when we put the radio on an outside speaker so that we wouldn't miss any calls while we worked on the beach. Then the Mississippi trucker Glossolalia, impenetrable except for the occasional 10-4, harassed us with an unsettling clash of cultures. He clearly was talking on the radio just to talk. The content of his utterances was not the point. For us, thousands of miles away, the radio was only for content, terse bits of information. To be helplessly bathed in this verbal overflow, this abuse of the airwaves on which we were so dependent, irritated us all. When we hit our threshold, the radio went off and no one in the world could reach us, no matter how they tried. When a call comes for me on the radio, I feel a certain drama and a sense of being part of a community. But when I'm on the radio phone, I'm aware that my voice is breaking someone else's silence, filling other people's rooms, whether they like it or not. Paradoxically, we live in privacy and isolation, go days and weeks without seeing anyone outside our camp, and yet our every conversation through the airwaves is communal. Because of our seclusion, I get my news weeks late, and I miss every summer Olympics, and yet I know that Jeannie, across the bay, has recommended St. John's Wort to Michelle, who lives another bay away. What bush dwellers ask from the communications revolution is not just working phone lines, but also privacy. Radios, of course, are public by nature. Our VHFs have enough crystals in them to receive and broadcast from about a hundred channels. A grossly excessive number, I thought at first, but I soon saw how small the airwaves could be. One boat captain unofficially claims one channel as his. We claim one as ours. The rest of the bay stands by on channel 69. The Coast Guard has channel 16, and so it goes. Even with nearly a hundred choices, it is hard to find a quiet, obscure spot to chat with a friend. And it's nearly impossible to get there unnoticed. It works like this. You call your friend on the area's main channel. Bird Rock, this is Harvester Island. Wait for response. Nothing. Try again. Bird Rock, Harvester, you got it on there, Sandy? The radio crackles, and then you hear, Yeah, Harvester Island, this is Bird Rock. How you doing, Leslie? Great. Want to go to 71? Roger. 
Pause. We both turn our dials. You there? Yeah, got you solid. How's it going? And then we talk. But neither of us is deluded into thinking that we are alone. Anywhere within earshot, bored people, maybe 12, maybe three, or on a sunny day, maybe just one, heard us giving our address and jumped up to switch their radios to the same place. If Sandy is someone I talk with regularly, we will have established our own channel, referred to obliquely as the other one. But even when we pre-arrange a secret channel, we can never get there alone. Every radio comes equipped with a scanner that can halt at and lock onto even the faintest throat clearing. My secret channel is probably scanned like all the rest. Every time I call on the radio or the phone, which can be also picked up by scanners, I know I may be Comedy Central or Days of Our Lives to some rapt, unseen audience. I have been on fishing boats where, untethered from the voices and the melodramas of TV and talk radio, the crew tunes into local theater instead. Knowing this, I have developed a little test to monitor my conversation's borders. When talking on either apparatus, if I suddenly envision a gaggle of fishermen around a galley table snorting at my revelation, or worse, nodding their heads and saying, hmm, that's not surprising, I could see that about her in a second, then I know I've said too much. The larger the imagined audience, the greater the perceived blood spill. My chagrin is only momentary, however. Though I hope for privacy on the phone, I don't really expect privacy on a radio, nor does anyone else. We all set up boundaries between the personal and the public. Our radio phone lasted from 1989 to 2018. The company stopped making them 20 years ago, but we kept ours going by hook, crook, and by cannibalizing our neighbors' discarded radio phones, who gave up on them years before we did. Last month, we took the little black box off its perch on our table, pulled down the rusted antenna in our front yard, and reluctantly dropped it in the non-recyclables, mumbling a few words of thanks. We have a satellite phone now that cost a bundle, that sits on the same table in its own briefcase. It has its own peculiarities, and it costs nearly a dollar a minute to use. The phone bill at the end of every month makes us misty-eyed for that confounded radio phone that was at least dirt cheap. But the spirit of the radio phone lives on in our internet system, which we installed 15 years ago. Now we're connected to the rest of the world, sometimes, depending on the weather, how steady our power supply, the atmosphere, sunspots, and whether or not we're thinking happy thoughts. All this keeps us humble, frustrated, intermittent citizens of the world here on our remote island in Alaska. Will our new communication system ruin us? Will it change our sense of place? I remember back to that first month with our radio phone. An oily loan officer was trying to sell me a home improvement package. But the blurts and beeps of the radio phone unnerved him so thoroughly that he accidentally lapsed into real human speech. I laughed. Clean air, 3,000 miles, an island of mountains, and our own fragile brand of technology had translated his manipulative message with perfect clarity. And suddenly, it was all right to have a phone. And you've been listening to author, speaker, and teacher, Leslie Leyland Fields. A beautiful story about a town, well, quite different than the rest of the towns around this country. But in the end, it's almost to look back at how we used to live and how some are choosing deliberately to live 
even in these modern times. And I know a lot of you listening are thinking, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? Leslie Leyland Fields' story, the story of her remote and small fishing town in Alaska, here on Our American Stories. Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 